And I want to invite you to open your Bibles or your electronic devices to a little book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2, we're going to be looking in today. I believe the purpose of this book, the book of Habakkuk that is, is to instruct God's people in how to live by faith amid the most inexplicable circumstances in life. Certainly all of God's word is written to instruct us into how to live by faith. But I believe this, this little book is more particular than that. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 says, The righteous shall live by his faith. We tend to not even give a thought probably about living by faith when our lives are stable, mainly predictable, mainly neat and orderly. For the first half, I suppose, of my vocational ministry life, I regularly would encourage people and exhort the people entrusted to my pastoral care to live by faith. Just just trust the Lord in this situation. But practically speaking, I didn't need to live by faith, that is. I had a steady income. We were spared serious injury. You know, kids didn't end up in the hospital every other week with something or uh, illness. I, I, um, my wife and I never battled with fertility issues. There, there were no catastrophic losses or griefs in relation to our extended families. Of course, we, you know, we endured our share of garden variety disappointments and discouragements. But for the most part, the fiery darts aimed at undermining our joyful confidence and satisfaction in all that God has promised to be for his people... That's all they really were, just darts, little things, relatively speaking. Nevertheless, as the years have gone on, we, like, we have, like so many of you, have had to face circumstances where we just don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. Flesh and blood don't seem to be of any help whatsoever. But I think we're learning, maybe, God willing, we're we're learning that we are being trained to actually live by faith in the God who loves us, the God who has revealed himself to us. The God who has laid his life down for us. And the power, I believe, of God's word through this prophet Habakkuk is that we are being trained, we're being taught to live by faith, not only when the times and the troubles may be at their worst. We are being taught to live by faith in God in those times when He acts, 
when he acts in ways that are so strange and so contrary to our ordinary ways of thinking and acting. And in this way, to God's glory, we become, I pray, less vulnerable to panic and perplexity and dread. It's not, it's not because there are no perplexing and anxiety-producing circumstances. It's because we've seen these circumstances before. <laughs> we've come to recognize them, and, and we've seen them and been trained by them to trust the Lord in them by accounts like the one recorded here in the book of Habakkuk. So, with that purpose in view, I want to invite you to follow along. I'm going to read Habakkuk chapter 2. Just all we're going to have time for is three verses this morning. And as an expression of honoring and regarding and respecting God's word, if you're physically able, please stand with me and follow along. Here's what the prophet writes. I will take my stand at, the, at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. This is God's holy and faith-strengthening word. Let's pray together. We're just acknowledging yet again, Lord, that uh, the times in which we live are unsettling times, troubling times, uncertain times. They're not just challenging They're confusing. And Lord, we're looking to you to untangle our thoughts, to lift the fog, to remove the veil, as we thought about just a few moments ago. We might see you face to face and encounter you, and that things would become clear in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. We would behold your glory. And your glory would sustain us and strengthen us and stabilize us. And that you would sustain us until the end. And that you would impart to us more and more of your spirit as we live life so far as you grant it to us. And we pray that we would become more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ who for the joy set before him endured much more than we will probably ever need to endure. And so it's in His name, our Savior's great, sustaining, saving, sanctifying name that we pray. 
Amen. You may be seated. Some of you have participated in a little exercise where we, we tell our story through the framework of the high points and the low points in our lives. And as I consider the, the low points in, on the timeline of my life, uh, the darkest times, the hardest times, they, they, certainly they involved things that were hurtful, that were painful, they were uh, challenging to say the least. But as I think of it, the lowest lows were more than simply painful. They were confusing. How could that happen? This does not make any sense. What is God doing? There are always frustrating, disappointing, discouraging things in life. Jesus said, in the world you're going to have trouble. A world full of fallen people. They're going to make a mess of things. But some things go beyond mess and they are just flat out disequilibrating. Like Leaning in for an affectionate kiss and getting a punch in the mouth. <laughs> just, what just, that doesn't just hurt. What just happened? Or like the two disciples on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus who were sad and shaken, grieving and confused. What, what was it that they said? We had hoped that Jesus was the one, the long-anticipated Messiah who would redeem Israel. But, but our very own spiritual leaders condemned him to death and crucified him. What just happened? Such was the state of things when Habakkuk recorded the words I just read. Assyria had crushed the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. And now God had revealed to Habakkuk that Babylon would crush Assyria as well as the southern kingdom of Judah, which happened precisely as God said it would in 586 B.C. Babylon also known as the Chaldeans, were baby killers. They set cities on fire. They looted and pillaged and slaughtered, just committing all manner of grotesque violence. They enslaved. They impoverished. They wiped out economies According to the book of Daniel, chapter 1, we know that they, they desecrated all that was sacred and made it their aim to erase any vestiges of cultural distinction. And they punished all who did not bend the knee to their objects of worship. As overwhelming and painful as all that was to anticipate, what really shook Habakkuk to the core was something else, something more. 
in the world where in the in the world there will be inevitably political, ethnic, economic, cultural, religious conflicts. That that we can expect. What is unexpected is when it is God who directs and deploys those who represent everything contrary to his holiness to crush his chosen and set apart people. That's different. What's disequilibrating is when God, who is so pure and righteous that he cannot even look at something wrong, ordains that the very doers of wrong do away with that whose purpose is to display what in God's eyes is right. Habakkuk understands that the Chaldeans... They're not on the loose. They're not outside of God's providential control. God has them on a leash. They are, in fact, a tool of the Lord for something, something that has to do with his, the purpose of his covenant. God is somehow at work for the joy of his people and for the glory of his name through the Chaldeans. But at that moment in history, for Habakkuk, it's still a mystery. The practical question then is, how do the righteous live by faith when the unrighteous are allowed to swallow them alive? By God. How do the righteous live by faith amid inexplicable circumstances? And the first way, the first way that they find help in living by faith is, according to Habakkuk, that they leave their cares with the Lord. It means I'm leaving my cares with the Lord. It means I, that we're telling the Lord our cares about these things. It means we lay our cares about these things before the Lord. And it means we turn our attention towards the Lord. So having just expressed to God all that concerned him, Habakkuk stops now, hits the pause button, and says in chapter 2 verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out. To see what he, that is the Lord God Almighty, will say to me and what I'll answer concerning my complaint. Back in the day, um, old guys say that a lot, back in the day. uh, I, I used to do this little workshop with teenagers to help them to learn how to pray. And, And I'd bring along this box full of rocks. There were big rocks in there. There were little rocks in there. There were jaggedy edged rocks, some smooth rocks. There was dirty rocks, filth all over them, and and then a few agates and some crystals. And I would explain that we were going to build an altar to the Lord. (laughs) 
and we would build this altar with the rocks, and the rocks would symbolize our cares and uh, the things in our hearts that we intended then to bring to the Lord and leave before the Lord as this little altar. And so teenagers would come, they'd, you know, they'd each take a rock, and, and if their care was, you know, so, it was big, you know, something heavy duty going on in their, their lives, they, they would take a big rock, heavy rock. And, and if their care had to do with some sin or a sh- you know, shame and guilt, they would take a dirty rock. And if their care had to do with something painful going on in their lives, hurtful, they'd take some jaggedy edge rock. And if their hearts were, you know, maybe their hearts were full of joy and, and uh, they just simply wanted to express their pleasure in the Lord, then they would take a pretty agate or some crystal, something that was smooth. And, and then they would bring their rock and they would pray, casting that care upon the Lord, which the rock symbolized, and then they would just add that to the pile. It was a brilliant little exercise I came up with someplace. Probably somebody else gave it to me. Um, but they left it there. They left it there. That was the important lesson. We left that rock, whatever rock it was, and whatever it symbolized on the altar. And I believe that once we've cast our care upon the Lord, then God means for us to leave our care with the Lord. God's Word says, cast all your anxieties upon Him because He cares for you. Living by faith in times of trouble, inexplicable circumstances, means leaving our cares with the Lord. God's word says, call on me in your day of trouble. I will rescue you and you will honor me. And once we've prayed, we wait because we're not quite sure when the rescue is going to come or what the rescue is going to look like. We just know that he's going to take care of it. So we take our stand at the watch post. We station ourselves on the tower, so to speak, and we look out, away from the care and to the Lord. That's what faith means. Living by faith means we detach ourselves from this disconcerting problem and we turn our attention to the Lord. Like the watchman who is on his post, high above the plain, high above the hubbub, high above the people, occupying this vantage point where he or she can see everything that's happening. We, we watch from there. We watch and wait for the Lord from there. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I quoted last week, he writes, Once we've taken a problem to God, we should cease to concern ourselves with it. But what so frequently happens is this. We go to our knees and tell God about the thing that's worrying us, we tell Him that we cannot solve the difficulty ourselves, that we cannot understand, and we ask Him to deal with it and to show us His way. Then, the moment we get up from our knees, see if this is you, 
we begin to worry about the problem again. Habakkuk says, I'm going to get out of the veil of depression. I'm going to the watchtower. I'm going up to the heights. I'm going to look to God and to God alone. This is one of the most important secrets in the Christian life. Important. One of the most important. <laughs> but, by nature, not necessarily easy. Why do you suppose the prophet repeats himself three times? I take my stand at the watch post. I station myself on the tower. I look out to see what he will say to me. It's not simply to, to drive home the importance of the point. Isn't it also because that to do so, namely leaving our cares with the Lord, it requires practice and repetition and reminders. It requires, leaving our cares with the Lord is something that we learn. It's part of a developmental process. Leaving our cares with the Lord by God's grace is something in which we make progress together. We learn how to do this together. How to entrust ourselves to God in the midst of inexplicable circumstances. And how do we learn to do this? Except through experience through real life experience. John Calvin writes on this text, he says, when our minds are agitated with unbelief, when doubts respecting God's providence creep in, when things are so confused in this world as to involve us in darkness so that no light appears, we must bid adieu to our own reason. Hmm. For all our thoughts at that point are worth nothing. As long then as we judge according to our own perceptions. That's what he means by our own reason. We walk on the earth. And while we do so, many clouds arise and Satan scatters ashes in our eyes and wholly darkens our judgment. It is hence wholly necessary that we should tread our reason underfoot and come nigh to God. Now, now that, loved ones, is really challenging for thinking people, right? I mean, that's how we figure these things out. That's how we solve all of our problems. That's why we keep going there. I returning to those thoughts again and again and again. But living by faith amid confusing, overwhelming, unexplainable things necessarily means that we look away from the chaos and the confusion. And we look to God. We shut off the noise and we listen to God. The reformers like Calvin and the Puritans were ruthless in the fight of faith. Trample on those vain musings. That's what sounds kind of Puritan-like, doesn't it? Take your stand at the watch post. Repent of your lingering obsession. 
Station yourself on the tower and fix your mind's attention and your heart's affection on God. And leave it there. Then, living by faith means also that we're expecting God to answer. This climbing, this standing, this stationing, this looking to God, it's all in anticipation, expectation that He will communicate Himself to us in our time of trouble. Look at verse 1 again. I, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out, look away, look to Him to see what he will say to me. So how do we expect God to, to communicate himself to us? Well, the, the clearest, most obvious, and, and most objective manner is, is through the scriptures. God will say things to us, communicate himself to us through scripture. That just the daily habit of praying the word is the surest means of seeing with our ears and hearing with our eyes. As, as you are reading, as you are praying, I trust that you ex- have this experience. Suddenly, it, it, it sometimes will seem strange, but suddenly, a wonderful, it's like a, somebody turned the light on. Tight, turn the light on your particular problem. It was, I guess it was Friday morning, I was praying for God's help with the sermon, and in, in between praying for my marriage and my family, which I always give special attention to praying about on Fridays, I was asking the Lord, what, what psalms might Habakkuk have prayed while he was up there in that tower. And I had hardly prayed that prayer when I, when I turned to the psalm for the day in my Bible reading plan, Psalm 92. Here's what Psalm 92 says. So I prayed the prayer and opened my Bible, and here's what I read. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. Though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish. They're doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. And so I'm, I'm thinking about Habakkuk, you know, I... He's up there in that tower, you know, it's early in the morning. He's got his French press and his scrolls. And he reads that psalm and he finds strength for his faith. Lloyd-Jones writes, If you say to yourself, this is the word of God through which he speaks to men, and I wonder what he has to say to me, then you are likely to obtain your answer 
watch and wait for it. God most surely communicates through Scripture, but we also may expect that God will communicate Himself to us directly in our spirits. As people who are joined to Christ and indwelt by His Spirit, like you know, like a bride joined in one flesh to her husband, it is right to anticipate that the Spirit of Jesus will witness to our spirits. I think it's what we experienced just a little while ago. Grace is praying. The Lord impresses something upon her. It won't go away. Maybe that's the Lord communicating something particularly for His people here in this gathering. I I believe it's implied in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1 where it says, I will look out to see what he will say to me. Now, Hebrew scholars all agree that the more literal translation of that little preposition here is to see what God will say in me. God speaks to us by speaking in us. I think most of us have experienced that, right? (laughs) You're, you're, You're watching, waiting on the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord brings something to your mind, impresses something on your heart in in an unmistakable manner. It just lingers, it just and, and there might even be times when you try to ignore it. Push it out of your thoughts. But back it comes. Back it comes. And such is the way that God answers his people at times. And it comes as no surprise, since it was the prophet Joel who said, it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and the female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. When the spirit of God comes and the spirit of God has come, we can expect that God will communicate himself directly in our spirits. There's a third way. God will communicate himself to us by providence, according to providence. That is, he so orders our circumstances and the day-to-day happenings in our lives that it it just becomes quite plain that God's saying something here. God's speaking to me. We had, um, we'd been praying regularly for months, months that God would, allow us to build some meaningful relationships with people in our neighborhood. And, uh, you know, you wonder, well, how could that be so hard? Well, ours was was one of these, you know, open the garage door, drive in, close the garage door kind of neighborhoods. Ours was a, you know, you pay to have your lawn mowed, leaves raked, snow removed kind of neighborhood. It was a, my life is full enough, don't bother me kind of neighborhood. So, it was hard, and we were praying, God, give us a breakthrough. And, and we'd been praying this for a long time, watching and waiting. And then a young man, I, I'm, you know, I, I guessed probably his late teens, he appears 
in our neighborhood. And he, and he was always by one of our neighbor's garage doors all day. And, um, and then to everyone's annoyance, he, um, he obtains a, um, a motorcycle and um, he's, he's motoring around the cul-de-sac on this, on this dirt bike. You know, the kind that goes, ring, ring, that one, that kind. And um, so he would ride it at night, around midnight, round and round the cul-de-sac. Uh, in, must have been in order to demonstrate the minimalistic exhaust system, you know, I don't know. Um, wow, it was so crazy loud, especially at that time of day. And, and I remember one of our neighbors calls the police. And the young man, I, I assumed it, it was probably us because he began then at night launching fireworks at the side of our house. And um, it, it, just, it just got really intense. And at first, I, was, I mean, this is one of those things. It, this was, it was frustrating, but I was so confused because I had been praying. I'm praying, God, help us to build meaningful relationships with our neighbors on our street. And instead, we get this summer-long visit from a troubled who's turned our quiet cul-de-sac into like a, you know, it sounds like a racetrack and, um, and a war zone because everybody, everybody's, <laughs> everybody was on edge. And one night, things came to a head. One of our, one highly agitated neighbor across the street, <laughs> he came out with a baseball bat. And uh, I saw him and um, went over, and he, he says, I'm going to take that bike out. And uh, when he came out with his bat, everybody came out. And um, all the neighbors, they're all there together. And we're talking to each other, and we're, you know, introducing ourselves to each other. We're calming each other down and we're, you know, taking names and phone numbers and contact information so that we can kind of care for each other and support each other in this crisis. And, um, and since this young guy has, he's moved in with, a, with an older single woman that we discovered, I think was his, you know, relative, um, Laurie and another neighbor gal, they go over and they introduce themselves to her and they ask, is there anything that we could do that would would help you, serve you, anything that we could, anything that might help in, in kind of reigning in these late night disturbances. Well, I mean, I'll just make the long story short. An unexpected, unexplainable circumstance. Crisis. Trouble. Was an occasion for God to communicate himself. He answered us. It was, it was a neighborhood breakthrough. Friendships were established. Cul-de-sac picnics ensued. 
understanding unfolded regarding this troubled young man and his lonely single female caregiver. We had been watching and waiting for God and he sent a noisy dirt bike and a baseball bat. God communicates himself finally here through, through the prophets, literally the Old Testament biblical prophets. What happens in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 and then subsequent to that is nothing short of astonishing. We, we've got Habakkuk's very own testimony to what God does when the righteous live by faith. They, they call on the Lord in their day of trouble. They watch and they wait. And the Lord answers. <laughs> Look at verses 2 and 3 again. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. The Lord answers. God reveals himself. Write the vision. Write down the revelation. And make it plain so that the one assigned to distribute it can run with it. And so God shows Habakkuk what was going to take place. And this is really the essence of biblical prophecy. God gets, he gets a hold of this dude and then gives the dude this message. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19-21 through 21 says... We, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. No prophecy of Scripture, these prophecies recorded in, throughout the Old Testament, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. And to this, you would do well to pay attention. Peter wrote with the same purpose in mind as Habakkuk. God's, God's people are suffering. God's people are perplexed and confused about their so Why is this happening to us? And, and he urges them to fight the fight of faith by paying attention to the words of the Old Testament prophets. The words of the Old Testament prophets are, are communications from God regarding what he's going to do, what the end is going to be like, what he has yet to do. The Old Testament prophets spoke God's inspired, authoritative word. We've gotten a taste of this last fall as we walked our way through the book of Daniel. God's, God's told his people what's going to happen. And it stabilizes one. And God revealed to Habakkuk two specific things were going to happen in the future. One, God was going to raise up the Chaldeans, and that initially kind of rocked him. But two, after they crushed Israel and enjoyed this 
you know, relatively brief season of global supremacy, they were going to be suddenly crushed themselves. And the fulfillment of this prophetic word is certain. Write the vision. Put it in writing. Check it out. Make it plain on the tablets. The vision awaits its appointed time. It's going to happen. The people need to hear that. People that are rocked, shaken, upset, disequilibrated, they need to hear it. It will sustain their faith to know what God has promised that is yet to come. And He will absolutely make it happen. And then what may be even more powerful, more remarkable, is that the prophecy is so precise. It's so exact. Verse 3, the vision awaits its appointed time. (laughs) It's on the calendar of God. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It's it's just absolutely going to happen. The timing is fixed. The exact moment has been determined by God. It won't be too late. It won't be too early. It's going to happen precisely according to God's appointed, pre-appointed timetable. So after Habakkuk, then God reveals to Jeremiah that the Chaldeans, well, you know, they're going to keep God's people in Babylon forever. About, you know, a few years. No, no, it was 70 years. 70 years. And at the end of 70 years, God's people are going to be brought back to to Judah. And it all came to pass exactly as God revealed it, in exactly the revealed time frame. In the book of Daniel, God revealed the, the end of the Chaldeans, as well as with stunning historical precision, the time of the coming of the Messiah. So, loved ones, if, if, if we hope to keep calm and even joyful in troubled, turbulent times, if, if, if you hope to live by faith in anxious times and inexplainable circumstances, you've got to get your head around the power and the purpose of the prophecy of Scripture. All history is under God's control and is unfolding precisely as it suits His purpose and precisely how He sees fit for it to occur exactly when He has determined. This is what engendered the most remarkable shift in in Habakkuk from fear and troubling and anxiety and to, f- to this faith where he is remarkably satisfied. He can just say, hey, you know what? If, if everything is, just goes as bad as it possibly could go, I'm okay. I'm okay. God revealed to him something that changed everything for him. And Habakkuk records it, I believe, in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Is it not from the Lord of hosts that 
nations weary themselves for nothing. This is a powerful statement. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How can we be certain that that's going to happen? With certainty. It's because God who is so pure and righteous that He cannot even look at sin according to His own definite plan and foreknowledge delivered up His own sinless Son to be crucified by sinful, unrighteous men. In order that sinful, unrighteous men and women, boys and girls, might be declared pure and righteous in Him. If anything is disequilibrating and like, wah, God, your ways are not our ways. That's it. That's it. God, the Holy One, God, the pure and righteous One, bringing unrighteous men to crucify His Holy Son in order that we sin and sinful and unrighteous ones might be counted righteous in Him. God rules and reigns over inexplicable things and He subjugates them in order to fulfill His ultimate purpose, that is to fill the earth with His knowledge and to satisfy the souls of His people forever. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, You have spoken to us and You've said, if these things seem slow, if the fulfillment of your purpose seems slow, if the filling of the earth with the knowledge of your glory as the waters cover the sea seems slow and being fulfilled, if subjugating every language, tribe, and people to you so that some from every language, tribe, and people cry out to you, you are my Savior, my Lord. If that's slow, we wait for it. It will surely happen. It will not delay. It will not happen any later than you have determined that it will happen. And so, Lord, may these certainties that you have promised strengthen our faith and calm us and cause panic to diminish and fear to turn to faith and soul satisfaction in you. All that you are for us, all that you have revealed yourself to be fulfilled in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.